Welcome to Sound and Vision, conversations with contemporary artists and musicians about the creative process. Here's the host of Sound and Vision, Brian Alfred. I have a solo show opening tonight when you're listening to this podcast, Thursday, March 17th, called Escape Plan at Miles McHenry Gallery, 511 West 22nd Street. Please come check it out. It's work that's been done over the past couple years during the pandemic and uh it's it's opening tonight so please come and check that out it'll be up over a month and uh, i hope you can see it the sound of vision podcast book why i make art is happening it's available for pre-order at atelier editions uh you can get a link through the soundvisionpodcast.com website under the book tab i've written about my experience doing the podcast there's features on 30 artists to go in depth on their work and who they are with quotes from the podcast. There's also thematic quote section, which different artists talking about music, art school, and different things. And there's even some of the uh, guest book sketches that artists have done over the podcasts, included in the book. I think you're really going to like it, but check it out at Altelier Editions, and uh, it'll be available everywhere, but you can get it through the website. Sound and Vision is sponsored by Golden Artist Colors. Golden makes some of the best acrylic paints and mediums that you can use. They also make core watercolors and Williamsburg oil paints, which are equally exceptional. You can find them at your local art store or online at goldenpaints.com. Sound and Vision is also sponsored by Fulcrum Coffee Roasters. Seattle-based Fulcrum makes incredible coffee, which you can get delivered to your door. Check out their coffee at fulcrumcoffee.com. And use the code ALFREDSTUDIO for 20% off your order. That's an exclusive just for Sound & Vision listeners. Check out their site and their coffee today. Anne Wu is an artist from Queens, New York. She received a BFA from Cornell University and an MFA in sculpture from Yale University. She's exhibited at Real Artways, The Shed, Dinar's Foundation, The Shaker Museum, Mount Lebanon, and the New York Public Library, among others. Her work has been featured in Art in America, The New York Times, Curbed, and Artnet News. In 2020, she was an artist in residence at the NARS Foundation Satellite Residency on Governor's Island, and she's currently a 2021-22 studio artist at Smackmelon in Brooklyn. I spoke to Anne from her residency at Smackmelon for a talk about growing up in New York City, finding art making, inspiring teachers, identity, making sculpture, 99-cent stores, Celine Dion, and much more. Here's our conversation. I am I have a lot of I have a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> okay. That's good. Cuz I think you're I be nervous. <laughs> no, not at all. Uh I think you're a, a a born and raised in New York City. Yes, born and raised. Um for the most part, I spent the very first few years of my childhood in um in Fujian, China. So I was born here and then when I was about 1, my mom sent me back to um, to live with her parents. So I was 
raised by my maternal grandparents from the ages of one to six. And then I returned to the States when I was six. Um, well, those are formative be... years, though. Formative years, yeah. But, you know, it's, it's, they're very formative, yet I don't have very clear memories of, right. um, you know, what happened then. I feel like my memory started when I arrived at JFK with, like, an unaccompanied minor, like, little tag. And then essentially meeting Ru my mom oh, for, those things, for the first yeah, time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Wow. Yeah, I'm sure that was a... That, that would probably be hard to forget. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think it really left a mark um, for sure. And yeah, it was it, it was strange because it, I was essentially returning to my home, right. but relearning everything um, or I guess learning for the first time everything because I don't know what happened between zero and one. You slept a lot. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know. Yeah, I mean, I think my mom's situation was very particular because she came here alone um gave birth and then was like trying to um really struggling to to take care of an infant while establishing a life here all by herself without knowing anybody why was um, she by herself i mean there might be a heavy backstory i don't know but she just came by herself just came by herself yeah looking for the looking for opportunity basically right. um wow yeah so I think, I think that was, um, you know, and though I'm sure that I, I'm trying to imagine that now I'm much, I'm older than she was then. So I can't even imagine what that, what that must've been like for her. Um, and then, you know, to make the difficult decision to send me, um, to her, to her parents to raise and then, you know, <laughs> have a, have a child return to her and then do it all over again. So, um, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm always asking her questions about what that must've been like and never get the full, full picture, but yeah, they never give you the big, the big scoop. Right. I wanted <laughs> to make a joke about, I, that sounds like a dream to send my kid to, to <laughs> my parents for five years. <laughs> just be like, all right, you get through this part and then send him back once he, <laughs> once the, he's mobile and he can talk and eat vibes. And now I'm just kidding. But yeah, that must have <laughs> been like, you know, intense. Right. So she was just working nonstop. Just working nonstop, trying to, um, you know, build a life here, essentially. But, you know, the practice of bringing of sending your child back to be raised by extended family is um, not super uncommon, especially right with um like Bhujanese families in particular a lot of times um the parents come here with the and the child is born here and then um most of most of that community is working really long hours usually menial jobs um and it's really hard to also raise a kid at the same time especially in New York City um yeah so there's actually um there's actually quite a good number of children who are, you know, experiencing this, um, you know, in the last few decades. And even a few years ago, I was um, traveling back to China with my grandparents and we were on the flight, like in the middle section of the flight. And there was a whole section of unaccompanied minors. <laughs> um, and that felt like very specific to Fujianese folks, um, you know, outside of even other um, like Chinese communities. It's definitely very unique. Um, I feel really lucky to have grown up here. Like I was, 
I'll say that to my mom these days. I'm like, I'm so glad you picked this place of all places right. to, you know, to, to carve out your life. Um, so I definitely, but I, I, I definitely feel like really privileged to have grown up here, but at the same time, you know, when people ask about what it's like growing up in New York City, it's really different depending on where, you know, where you're coming from. I, I consider myself very like Queens, a very outer borough kid. Right. Um, and also when I, you know, when I came back and was, was reunited with my mom, I lived with, we lived in um, Flushing for, for a few years and then like started moving east um, a bit. So lived in Bayside for a little while. And then I actually went to middle school in this neighborhood called Little Neck, which is, it's like on the border of Nassau County. So that oh, I was know. like, I, I, my, <laughs> I, I'm involved in youth soccer. So we, mm -hmm. I, and yep. you know, doing that has really taught me about the geography of Long Island and Queens and all those areas. So, yeah. Yeah. So this is like queen, like the, the, the farthest edge of Queens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. It's basically, um, yeah, but you just kept going further. <laughs> you didn't end up in Montauk. <laughs> right eventually um then we were in the ocean no um you know we were so we were there for my middle school years and that was like super suburbia so I feel like I got a real um you know my experience ran the gamut of like flushing that was like very intense and um you know at times chaotic but coming from China it was probably like a very uh the closest semblance to what was what life was like right before I came here and then ease, you know, moving farther and farther away. And then I went to high school in Manhattan. So then I sort of like then oh, where'd you go? went I'm back so west. Where'd you go? Uh, <laughs> I went to Stuyvesant oh, in um, Tribeca. Yeah. Kind of very boring. <laughs> very well, it's typical. so academic. It's funny because my son goes to Sinatra and that's like such an arts you know, we mm -hmm. had the choice between like, you know, an academic school and an art school and we went arts, but um, it seems like the academic side is really rigorous and stressful. Although Very. I'm sure every high school now is stressful. There's Instagram. But well, I mean, <laughs> what was it like going to Stuyvesant? Um, it was really difficult. I was not a math or science person. Why the hell did you go there? <laughs> <laughs> it's like i'm not a... into tech i went to mit what's wrong <laughs> <laughs> i mean in high school you didn't have too much choice you know like i knew about schools like laguardia or even like townsend harris that was known for english and writing and yeah. my mom's like no i don't what are those things like right, you're not right. doing that that's not, that's not um, valid <laughs> Yeah, like she had an image of in her mind of, you know, the steps that you take in order to like, you know, get me into college, essentially. Right. Um, so I feel really out of place a lot of times. But now when I think back to it, I'm like, oh, I'm kind of glad that I was in a place that showed me right away what I was bad at. So then I can <laughs> have a head start <laughs> to learn, you know, to figure out what I was better at or right, right. interested in. Um so, and it was easier to stand out as someone who was more interested in art and, um, and writing at the time. And, but of course I couldn't really find a lot of opportunities in school to support that. So I really took advantage of, this is again, the city kid advantage of looking for programs that are free, that I didn't have to ask my mom for permission to do, that did encourage the art side of things. Right. Okay. So 
that I think growing up in the city, you the stimulus and what you're exposed to and all the opportunities and all the diversity of not just people, but a culture and experience is, is a real gift. And it's also just bonkers. You know, it's not <laughs> the way that humans usually grow up because, you know, at, for good or for bad, people used to just grow up in an area that's where it's like the culture is the culture. In New York, it's just like, it's, it's this huge, you know, a melting pot. It's like everything, which is really cool. And, and in the sense of like what you're exposed to, you know, I think about what my son's done, you know, in like 14 years and it's like way, 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 it took me 35 years to even get close to that. You know what I mean? So it's kind Mm -hmm. of cool, but at the same time, I wonder, and you know, you, it would be great to answer this question because people who grow up in a certain place, like I always say, I wonder what it's like growing up in New York City. Well, the people who grow up in New York City, they don't know otherwise, really, usually, unless they mm-hmm. split the time. So it's just what you're used to. But I always feel like if you go anywhere else, you're just going to be disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, don't say that. <laughs> no, I'm joking. But but, you know, it's it's kind of like you have the best of everything here, really. Like it's kind of you get spoiled with like food and with culture and art and music. And I, I know every provincial town has its own like, you know, I'm from Pittsburgh. When I go back there, I'm like, it's great. I love Pittsburgh, but you can do it in a mm-hmm. weekend. I mean, I see what you're saying. I do. But I do think growing up here, some I, I definitely take um, take it for granted, too. And then I'm very envious of people who get to come here too you know oh, for me true. it's yeah, yeah. for me it's just and I say this all the time to you know to to artist friends who might not be from here it's like it is also just home for me and that is that can be complicated it also is very tied to my family it's tied to responsibilities it's tied to all these other things that I can't just be an artist here ah, that's a great point I didn't think of that see this is that is a great point because I imagine if like I grew up the way I did and I stayed in Pittsburgh and I just made art and I was there all the time, it would be a much Mm -hmm. different kind of vibe, you know, because I was able to go to New York and it was different and I could just sort of create a new, you know, a new life in a way of just being like in this place that, you know. Well, I was, I mean, I was talking to a friend just a few days ago who is also from, um, from Queens, who's also an artist. And we were just talking about how, we don't really get to, as you say, like invent a life here as an artist, because while we're trying to cobble that together, we also inherited this life from our immigrant parents or like New York was their dream too, you know? So we're sort of sharing that dream and trying to carve out our own little version of that. So that's, there is this like split in, um, in that identity as someone who is from here and knowing that this is in a lot of ways, the center of a lot of art life. Right. Um, Yeah. I do think though that, I mean, it's hard because you have that specific experience. I do think that everyone in a way though, feels this conflicting like separation from family that, you Mm -hmm. know what I mean? Like I'm going to do my own thing yet their, their existence defines you in a way like the older you get, the more you realize a lot of that stuff from your parents is part of you. And you're like, Oh man, I'm what the hell I'm like talking just like my dad used to talk. You know what I mean? <laughs> it, it's like, it's almost like you, everyone has a little bit of that struggle of, of mm-hmm. redefining themselves and trying to push away from 
all that experience or the ideology or the mindset, but at the same time, it's like almost wired in there, you know? It's interesting. Yeah, you can't, mm-hmm. can't get rid of it. You can't, it, it, but it's literally the worst whenever you get older and you're talking to people and like stuff that drove you crazy about that your parents would say and you start saying it. You're like, oh, no. <laughs> I mean, they make commercials about that now, you know. Um, yeah. yeah, so, I mean, you know, when you were in high school and you're going to a really academic, you're in an academic, I mean, Stuyvesant, from what I gather, is very academic and rigorous and, mm-hmm. you know, um, you sort of, you kind of came onto this realization that creativity or arts or that sort of thing was was pulling you a little bit so did you feel like oh when I go to school like when I graduate that's something I'm gonna like what was the and what was the relationship because so many parents are kind of like art creativity what you know that doesn't pay (laughs) bills so I didn't know if you had that because especially from you know your mother who came over here by herself to like I gather work her ass off to just like Mm -hmm. be able to put food on the table. So, and then it's like, okay, I'm going to go to art school. (laughs) Like how did that play out? Yeah, it was a daily struggle. I mean, as long as I kept my grades up, um, it was, I, I, my mom was a pretty hands-off parent in that, in that sense. Um, But I also, you know, the arts sort of extracurricular things I found, I was, I always framed it as like, this will help me get into college as a, you know, just to translate for her, like Uh, how, you know, (laughs) yeah, you know, put it in parent terms for her, even though for me, it was like, oh my gosh, I get to like go to the museum every weekend um, or ask her to drive me to the museum if I like oversleep or something. Um, But, uh, you know, I also tell her that, she is a very unconventional parent so it actually makes sense that i'm such an unconventional ah, child nice. <laughs> so yeah, there that's, were, yeah that's another pro move wow you're good at that <laughs> i mean were you like that at that age you were able to sort of work that out i i i mean i think it also helped that um i had a really amazing guidance counselor at my high school who was really excited oh, nice. when i yeah, when I first met her, she was like very new at the time. And when I first met her, she was like, "Oh my God, you're not into math and science? Well, you're like one of you're like the first one. Great, let's see how we can work together." So she was like really encouraging, and she actually had a few conversations with my mom as well to um, to reassure her that it was that it was okay what I was doing. So did you? I what sort of uh, gave you the license? Like what? What happened when you graduated? Like, what was the plan? Um, when I graduated high, sc- high school? Yeah. Well, by senior year, I knew I was I wanted to apply to art programs, maybe, not necessarily art schools, but programs that had art in it. Um, just yeah. again, appease my mom, but also for me too. I wasn't, I didn't, I wasn't fully ready at the time to do art school. I, d- I didn't feel like I had the exact background in it. Yeah. Um, so you needed a buffer, basically, like something where you could do that some, but you could also, there were options. There were options, but I, I did want to focus on places that, um, you know, the art program isn't just like a minor that you could tack on, that it was, you know, the, the school. And actually, again, going back to my guidance counselor, she had gone to Cornell. I didn't even know, Cornell was like not on my radar at all. My Again, my grades were not really, they were just average. 
but she was like, oh, there's an actual art school there and maybe you're the kind of student that they might be looking for. Um, so that was like big thanks to her. And um, yeah, and again, that was, that was a good, um, that was a good compromise to present to my mom again right. as a, as an option, but you know, she, so she had a school that she could mention to her friends, but you know, she, she could leave <laughs> before they asked what I was studying. Right. Right. Yeah. The name, the name sort of smooths it out. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And we all know it's about, you know, for a lot of times the parents, you just want, they just want to feel like, okay, I checked that box. Yeah. Like they're, they're on a path. Yes. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. I don't have to worry about them necessarily. Right? I mean, she's, she's always going to worry. You know, I think every parent of an artist is going to worry forever. Um, right. But that just comes with the deal, you know? Yeah. I think that's part of it. I mean, you know, like, and to your credit, that's all you have to do is blame them. <laughs> I'm your genetics. I mean, you know, I'm unconventional just like you. Are. It wasn't, it wasn't putting blame. It was placing gratitude for giving me this, you know, different perspective, I should say. That's right. That's right. Exactly. For making me, you know, not a boring sort of, you know, doing the same thing as everyone else of doing something creative, something different. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, taking risks. Yeah. Like thinking about her not having a roadmap sort of gave me the permission to operate in a similar, in a similar way. I mean, it still scares me, but knowing that, um, that she had gone through her own, her own ways, encouraging. Right. And um, so how did you, did, when you were in school, did it kind of sink in right away? Did you start taking some classes and you like, you know, bit into it and just caught the bug or did it take a little time? And how was the program? Oh, it was like right off the bat because it's um, at Cornell, it's a specific art school that's within the college. So it's like, it's got its own building. It's really, really small program, just like a, a few professors and right off honestly it was like you know it, it basically was i basically went to just like an art only school there were some extra classes we had to take outside but it wasn't the focus so yeah right off the bat like taking all of the foundation classes um realizing that you know i might not have the best hand but like i, I was gonna i was gonna figure this out so um and also the the program was very the undergrads and the grads sort of share the same space. So that was, you know, now looking back, like such a um, great learning experience because I got to see older folks who were really, really dedicated in addition to the faculty, but just like older students who are closer in age to us who are so, yeah, yeah we're so into this subject matter. It just felt like the energy was, um, was there, yeah. Yeah, that's a really... That's advantageous. I remember being an undergrad at Penn State and there was a grad student there. There were only a few grad students, but the one guy was a painter and he had lived in Hoboken for like, you know, quite a few years. And he was a real like, you know, he's kind of grumpy, but he was really serious about painting. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'd try to talk to him and you could tell he would talk to you a little bit and you could really feel the intensity of how he felt about being an artist and being a painter and he also made you feel like, you know, every minute he talked to you was a waste of his time. <laughs> so, you <laughs> so you're like, wow, man, he's really into it. You know, it, it just kind of shows you mm -hmm. that, like, you can take this stuff really seriously, you know. And I think that is kind of a, 
a gift at that stage, you know, because totally. then you think like, oh, maybe I could go to graduate school. I mean, back when I was, you know, in school, there, w- there was no Internet. So it was just word of mouth stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and I was like, oh, maybe I could go somewhere for a couple of years and be this serious about it. You totally. Know? Yeah. I mean, they were modeling for you what your future could be. And that was right. something I'd never even, you know, thought about <laughs> at the time. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah. It's it's funny you know, you, you learn so much just by being around stuff. Mm-hmm. I think that's the, you know, cause a lot of people say, I mean, I guess that's specific to grad school, but a lot of people say like, Oh, you don't need school or whatever. But the one thing that is really irreplaceable is that sense of community, mm-hmm. you know, and like what you learn, just hanging out with people and being around people. I think that's kind of, you know, invaluable. Totally. Yeah. I'm still really good friends with the grad school, you know, some of the grad students that I went to, school with and of course my undergrad peers yeah yeah so um when you did you have any faculty there that you just connected with that were you know that really sort of uh inspired you or if not that's totally cool they were all average (laughs) (laughs) no i was really again this is turning into like shout out hour but um that's okay you can name drop (laughs) no i was very i was really lucky because during um, my junior and senior years, which were really important, um, I studied with Carl Ostendarp and Michael Ashkin, and they were two professors that I just really admired and respected and um, just so, like, thoughtful and caring, and but also, like, so smart and ser- serious. Like, that, that was a thing that um, made me realize, like, oh, this is something you could be super serious about. Like, you're not just making stuff you're like thinking deeply about every single little thing so um studying with them yeah was definitely a huge um part of my experience there and um yeah and I think with Michael Ashkin we did um a Rome program and he was a faculty yeah yeah, he was a faculty with us so he would yeah it was just like a very tight-knit sort of cozy environment of um learning under him and thinking about place and getting all these like personalized reading suggestions, things like that, that's sort of his, his vibe. And then Carl, of course, like um, as a thesis advisor was always really um, always pushed, pushed you in, um, in every single thought you had and, um, and always had, you know, suggestions and, uh, like our historical references that I wouldn't even know to, to look up. So yeah, I think, I think having the two of them there were really great, but you know, if I gone, you know, even like a combination of other years, I might've not studied with them. I just sort of like got the double whammy of studying with both of them. Right. Yeah. It's just the good timing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's funny with Carl too, like in talking about him, I mean, he's a great guy and you know, uh, and talking about him being serious, but then when you see his work, <laughs> it's so playful and goofy mm-hmm. too. I mean, there's a serious element to it, but there's also that humor in it, which, uh, you know, but he is a very thoughtful, mm-hmm. you know, great person to connect to like that and really earnest, but yeah. And sometimes the work is just hilarious, <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally. Yeah. It's and like striking that balance that you can be both things, but at the heart of it, it's really comes from just like, caring about your craft and being um, really serious about your work, you know. Um, what were you doing at the beginning of school, like when you first started in your classes and stuff? I mean, I, I imagine just beginning art stuff, but 
you know, and knowing what you're doing now with sculpture that is very physical and, you know, it, it, it's, it's there, you know, it's, it's not something you're like probably busting out and beginning sculpture or something. How did you, where was the work at the beginning? The beginning? Um, I didn't know about, I didn't know about um, making sculpture until much later. I mean, I took intro sculpture, we did like busts, like clay busts of each other and like sort of abstract forms and just, you know, learning the tools and stuff. But I think for a while, I thought maybe I was going to do photography um, because I, you know, I took an alternative process class and I was like, oh, this is, this is like very inventive, you know, it can't, there, there is, I think in all of the disciplines, it felt like there was a technical aspect of it that you had to um, cover before you get to the inventive part. And then with alternative process, it was like, oh, right off, you can just like play with materials, but then it's still rooted in photography. Um, but I think that was probably the first taste of like using materials in a way that's unexpected, which I think is a big, um, you know, building block of thinking about sculpture in general. So right. by, and then by senior year, like by thesis, I was trying to remember like how I just ended up making three dimensional objects. Um, that's when I started I went, I found this like 99 cent store kind of like off the highway that it's, it's a little bit farther from the school. And there were, it was owned by a Chinese family. And it was like a little moment of like, oh, this kind of reminds me of, of home, of Flushing. And it's just like buying a lot of stuff from there. And then also there was like a Dollar Tree nearby. And so there were these like basically prefabricated forms that I could play around with and turn modular. And then, you know, um, uh, enhance and scale in a much faster way than if I were, you know, starting from scratch. And then I, I don't, I don't even know if I was like considering those sculptures at the time. I was just like, these, this is my work now. Um, yeah. But I think that was when uh, scale came into play uh, in a very intentional way. And then also um, realizing that I could play around with architectural aspects of the room. Um, through these larger objects. Yeah. And, um, and I guess I'm supposing that's when you first started to tie together kind of like place and memory and things that you're familiar. I mean, was the 99 cent score, was that kind of coincidental in a way, or were you going to that in the sense of like, oh, I'm going to look for some materials that resonate in some way, or was it just more exploratory? You know, I probably went a, went home for like winter break or something, and then um, and then when I came back, like something clicked. And like when I when I go home and I'm going with my grandparents at nine nine cent store, getting stuff for them, and then coming back with like, oh, there's yeah. like this real thread that was created um, by these very specific sort of cultural hubs, which in that time was the ninety nine cent store. Um, and I also really liked that I could be like. I made this sculpture with $10 because there were 10 99 cent things in it. And some that's, it, yeah, it's funny. Yeah. There's some that comes mm -hmm. into play. That's, right? that's, <laughs> that's part important. of it too, is like how it's related to commerce in this very specific moment. But I don't know. I don't know if all of that was there at the time, but I think it, it set the foundation of that. Well, you know, it's really funny speaking of 
breaks. I remember when I was, I think, a junior in undergraduate school, and I went home over a break, and my mom had these, like, craft paints mm-hmm. at home that were, like, you would buy at Michael's or something, like, cheap $1, like, little fluid mm-hmm. things. And I remember looking at those, and I don't, I don't I, maybe I took some back or something, or I remember going to, like, a cheap store in in Pennsylvania where they had that stuff and I bought a bunch of them and the colors are very specific and they look like my house mm-hmm. growing up like the same like you know pastel like funky colors and I started using those in the work because it reminded me of home and it reminded me of th- the paints that I found there and it was also super mm-hmm. cheap so it was the same sort of thing it was like conveniently cheap and I remember at one point in graduate school when I was still using them at the beginning and, and one of my professors was like you realize this paint is really awful <laughs> right <laughs> and I was like yeah but it's like tied to my growing up and he's like uh, I want to look in the golden <laughs> or something like that these aren't going to last that long which it which was a moment when I made the transition but but yeah it, sometimes you you know, you reach back into what's familiar mm-hmm. or something. There's something about going home, I think, when you're off at art school or at your, you're away, that there's a comfort there because you're trying to express yourself and you, you want it to be sort of intrinsic to your, to something, your upbringing or, or nostalgia mm-hmm. or a connection there that seems like professors or people looking at it, they may not know it or agree with it, but you feel like, well, I'm connected to it. This is from my childhood or this is part of me yeah i think it's also a way to understand what your what you know your aesthetic education was in an informal sense too of like what do you see as beautiful or important or valuable um i feel like every time i step into my mom's house i'll notice something else that's like oh that's that's what you know that's where that's from (laughs) or something um or like that's why i lean towards this because like this is how she tapes up stuff um and there's you know it's exciting to sit in those moments they're not it's not necessarily like the only source but um i think at the time it was the first like spark right so and then as you, you know, were getting ready to leave, did you go straight to grad school or did you take time in between? No, I actually, I took five years before I applied to grad school. Oh, that's right. There was a gap Pretty, there. yeah. Five years in the mm-hmm. real world. How did that go? <laughs> it was real. <laughs> yeah, it gets real. Yeah, I mean, as soon as I finished undergrad, I came back home. So I, and I lived in my mom's attic. and was like, make... Are we talking, are we back in Flushing at this point? Are you out in Long Island? Or no, no. We were only in, um, we were only out in Eastern, Eastern, Eastern Queens for, Little yeah, day. for right, like right. two, three years and then moved back to Flushing. Because um, my mom always worked okay. more in Flushing and like, you know, other parts of like the Bronx and places closer to the city. Um, yeah. So moved back to her house, lived in their attic, um, had tried to like have a little studio there. She found this like really heavy, weird oak picnic table by the side of the road and was like this could be your art table (laughs) (laughs) sweet very sweet very impractical it was like so heavy right um yeah so i i yeah i I was working in there and you know i have some like just two i think two photos from that time and you could just see like everything in my world like colliding because it's like stuff from 
you know, my, my family stuff and then me trying to like make some sculptures and then like my bed and then some clothes. It was just, Oh my God. Sculptures are really hard. It's not, it's not like a little attic. Like you need, the thing I've learned, you know, after school and moving to the city is friends of mine who are sculptors. It's like, you need, for the most part, you need Mm -hmm. space. You need space. It's hard to cram. For sure. Yeah. It's New York is definitely um, sculpture killer. <laughs> Number one, if you want to. <laughs> yeah, it's not. It's, it's not, not conducive easy, to right? that for sure. Um, yeah, I think I, I think some professors are like, oh, why didn't you go to like Ohio after after school? <laughs> <laughs> Plenty of space yeah. out there. I was like, okay, I don't know. I don't know if that's an option right now, but you know, I, I tried, but I was also working a full-time job. Um, I was working in publishing for, for five years. Um, and just, what were you doing in publishing? Like editorial stuff. And I did some publicity, um, because this whole time too, I was, I, I've always been interested in writing as well. Um, not, I think when I was a kid, that was probably like the first, that was more the first creative expression is through writing even before um, art, I would say. So. That's not, that's advantageous. Cause I feel like a lot of artists really struggle. I'm not talking about anyone in particular, <laughs> but a lot of artists really struggle writing because with writing, because you know, it's, you, you get so accustomed to expressing ideas through visual mm-hmm. form and, and, and writing is, you know, it's such a different speed. I mean, you do, I've, I've found the value in it more recently in my life but there was a time when i was younger where i was just like artist statements or writing stuff no well artists you know it's that's artist statements that's like barely writing that's like torture (laughs) that's very um yeah Yeah. but i mean in publishing like editorial work is it's more like correcting rather you know rather than like writing and free you know creative writing um and i think the more i focus on art and visual um expression i just kind of like lost that because it it is like a different way i i always see it as yeah it feels like a different temperature different like rhythm of different different gear gear of making and creating um that once i you know focus on art i was like okay i gotta put that aside because in in undergrad i was also taking several like creative writing classes and I was just like oh I can't do both of these this is like really it's like two different parts of my brain that I can't click on and off um right yeah so so I was doing um yeah I was doing the publishing um office life you know nine to five and then coming home and trying to make things work in my in my home live my first live workspace um a picnic table um but then in the attic but the other problem that happened is like i came back with all these you know i was super i had all this momentum from undergrad uh thesis of like these 99 cent store objects and like what they mean culturally conceptually um formally and i bring it i bring these objects home and my grandparents are like yeah i'm gonna use this like to (laughs) to like soak my feet (laughs) like this is Right, right i don't what do you you know and it was like i was I was like, okay, I'm not even gonna, I'm not gonna try to. I, I think I, it really forced me to like rethink everything, um, because I was confronted with like this different, um, yeah, this different like almost language, you know, language barrier of, um, yeah. of these objects, and also trying to explain what art really was doing um, in my house. So, yeah. 
Well, we fast forwarded there through two years in New Haven, which I'm sure was formative in some way, shape, or form. Yes. Did you did you enjoy it, or was it rough, or I don't know what sculpture like there now? Um, Are you still in Hammond Hall? No, I don't think so. No, it's, <laughs> is it all combined now into that one building? Um, no. Are you still segregated? No. Yeah, we're we're on our own. We're not with painting um, or. I guess now there there were some studios on another floor with um with a uh, photo studios so photo and sculpture is kind of together right. yeah um, two years in New Haven yeah I it was definitely challenging but I, I was really ready for it at the time I was like I'm done with working in an office like I can't <laughs> this is too you know I'm like losing sight of who I am um, and right. it was a good amount of time to wait I think even like a few years earlier I was sort of playing around with, and this, again, this is the benefit of having uh, friends who are grad students when I was undergrad would check in and be like, hey, you know, have, are you thinking about grad school? Because um, if you don't have that, you might just drop it. So um, earlier on, I was kind of playing with the idea, but I think for a while, a lot of sculpture programs were more focused on performance and um, things like that. And I was just like, oh, I'm not sure like where I would even really fit yeah. in. And then I think the year I applied was it seemed like good timing too because there was more of an interest in objects again and um yeah so i really like living in new haven um i love like having one place to go for coffee one place to go for like chinese takeout i realized i don't do well with like tons of options so this is the city thing again you know like i take that for granted I, like when friends ask for recommendations i'm like i literally don't know like you can come to my mom's house right right <laughs> So, um, <laughs> yeah. Well, did you, so I imagine you were productive too. Yeah. Yeah. There was, did the work go through a lot of changes? I would say so. I mean, scale wise, everything kind of got bigger. I mean, I don't know if you, you're familiar with the new studio sizes. I'm assuming they didn't, they were also very impressive at Hammond Hall, but it was like my first studio ever was my, grad school studio so that was like wow <laughs> very um spoiled yeah. and and then the second year studio was even larger so i was like this is ridiculous you know um but amazing but yeah it's it's great when you uh, but it sets you up for <laughs> yeah because the the studios when i was there at hammond hall the sculpture studios were like you know it's like a football field. I mean, they were huge. Or maybe it's that thing when, you, when you're when you younger, everything seems mm -hmm. bigger. Like, I don't know if you spend a long time without going somewhere and you go back and you just everything feels smaller to you. But back then, it seemed like those studios were huge. Mm -hmm. I mean, you could make some big work in there. <laughs> yeah, I think I definitely had that feeling about the first year studios. Once I became a second year, I was like, oh, this is so tiny. But... Then I, <laughs> then right. I came back to New York and was like, actually, let's rewind because. <laughs> yeah, they were all great. <laughs> they, yeah. <laughs> Did you have anyone that you, that you really clicked with as far as faculty or visiting artists or anyone? Did you have any moments of like, you know, epiphanies? Epiphanies. Um, I don't, I probably had, I mean. I feel like it was like two years of epiphanies like every single week it was like epiphany yeah, right. overload at that point um because i was just like okay as many studios as i can get yes i want to put them all down because 
didn't have anyone to talk to for five years, basically. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the faculty who were there, like the main folks, like leading the program, um, Martin Crisell, Crisell's was real. Like I really enjoyed working with him um, because I felt like uh, I don't know. I, I I learned to talk about the work in a different way. Um, and I also studied with, um, Aki Sasamoto. She was sort I think she was, I think that might've been her first year. Um, and she was, Oh, I didn't know she did. Yeah. Her. She, her work's really interesting. Super interesting. Um, really, really, um, I don't know. It's like an <laughs> inventive thinker, I guess. Like it always had like very, um, unusual, but important insight that like, had to think about for a while that that was also a Carl thing from undergrad is like he would say something and then like a week later you're like oh that's what that meant <laughs> you know oh yeah thought mm -hmm. grenades yeah some teachers are good at that they plant that little seed in there and they go off like a week or two yeah, later yeah so that those are great sometimes they do that like it happens years mm -hmm. later you're like oh that's what they were talking <laughs> about it's pretty great like it's it's a cool sort of like you know time-based learning mm -hmm. totally <laughs> totally um, and, but, you know, what's interesting is both of them are primarily performance artists. So I went in without realizing like, Hey, who am I going to, yeah, who am I going to study with? Who am I going to click with? And, um, I got so much out of the program and yeah, they always had a really interesting, diverse, like roster of visiting artists and critics as well. So I don't know. I think I also went in with just like super like open open mind like no expectations just because I I knew that I wasn't I just yeah I was just tired of like my life in New York you know so everything was like it was like a vacation it was like two years of just learning and thinking about my work even the challenging parts like and some of the some of it was really really hard of um you know figuring things out it was a good reminder of like oh I get to do this I get to do this now <laughs> you know um which right. wasn't the case for so long is your um, here's a weird question, and I'm, I'm sure I know the answer. Is your work ethic pretty hardcore? Uh, it can be. Are you? Are you? Oh, okay. You you're a little chill sometimes. Oh no, it? I'm not. <laughs> okay. Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, just judging by your mom's experience, I imagine your mom like busted her butt. You know, was like a workaholic, and just to get you know to do it, and then you know. Stuyvesant and then Cornell. I, it's like all the places you're going are rigorous. There's not a lot of like, you know, sliding through or under the radar stuff. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's also just like your the the how do I say this? The motivation is also from everybody around you. I mean, that's kind of the thing of be, going to places like that. It's not. It's never an intrinsic thing. It's just you just see. Okay, everyone's like working super hard, um, but definitely from my mom. It was like, if I can't prove to you right now that this is valuable, I can at least prove it to you through how much time I put into it, how much, um, yeah, how much labor actually goes into this. So that was probably, yeah, in the back of my mind, just um, working, working through that. But it was also very early on. I was like, two years is nothing. Two years is so fast. So I always had this feeling that it was going to end really quickly and trying to like get the most, yeah. you know, squeeze the most out of that. Can I ask you something about the work between, say, like now and then grad school? It it looked like your earlier work was a little more, um, 
I don't know, DIY, kind of like funky, almost like cartoony mm-hmm. at times, very playful. And it seems like as you started to get interested in these doors and these gates and like these things related to the architecture, which uh, talk about, you know, your community and where you live and then resonating with cultural things, it, it seems like it became a little more produced and, and a little more kind of like heavy and, and you know, not, I don't want to say substantial in a way of like conceptually or whatever, but, you know, it just seemed more polished mm-hmm. or not polished. I don't know what I'm saying. You know what I'm saying. I think I, I think I know what you're getting at. Um, yeah, there's definitely more of a, a maybe like a craft craftiness maybe in the beginning um, that that it ch- evolved over time. Um, I think you know the earlier works I was a lot of those um, architectural pieces were based on photos or like real places that were from memory or from like old photographs. So I think, you know, it's funny to think about like, um, yeah, like what a cartoon does where it's like this recreation of something that is like a real world reference um, and then trying to rebuild that, I think lends itself to this, this like not quite, yeah, this like a bit of this wonkiness there. Whereas as I, as I um, kind of moved through grad school, a lot of that became uh, much more pared down was like a lot of editing happened throughout the time there of like, okay, what actually is like at the heart of all of this? Um, It's not just like, yeah, replicating something. Um, And then I think that allowed for a little bit more like invention to come into play. And then through the invention, maybe there's, yeah, there's more moments to, um, to sort of work through, yeah, focusing on like a more minimal form or something. And then, when you say invention, like formal invention? Um, sometimes because I'm not basing a lot of the uh, later forms on anything in particular. It's more like, okay, what is a, what does a door frame feel like? Well, it's really just like a rectangle. And then when does it become that? It's like, right. it's like a proportional thing. Whereas earlier works, it's like a balcony that's based on my grandfather's house in rural China. It's, you know, it's like grasping at that. It's grasping at this, um, at this image of a thing that's real. Um, but it's also an image. So it's like an image of an image. Um, yeah. That all makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that my mind's racing because there's so many things I want to ask you. And I feel like it's going to be a little disjunctive okay. here. So um, bear with me. Cause I, and then I'm like looking at the stuff behind you. And I want to talk about that too. Um, so, and, and I read the piece that you wrote. Was it in Art in America? Yes. The one, mm-hmm. yes. the one that came from the shed project, the project at the shed. I believe mm-hmm. so. Yes. But I, I guess, you know, I, I wanted to tap in a little because your work, I feel like talks about identity and where you're coming from. I mean, just the experience in the past few years of like Asian Americans and the Asian community in general, and like just specifically like in being Chinese mm-hmm. and going through, it's just been a really like, I can imagine uh, emotion. I, I don't know how to describe it, you know, but a lot to, to navigate. I mean, that's exactly it is like these issues have always been there. You know, these um, these concerns have always been there. And now it's just like a renewed mainstream interest. Um, I don't know if I see the work being perceived in a different way because I I like you said, I'm much more interested in subtlety and nuance too. So it's, I don't really see the work as like, 
yeah, some sort of um, chance to stand at a podium necessarily, but just by the sheer existence of them being in the world, um, you know, present some sort of action. Um, but it's also like this experience, it's not, it's so different from person to person. And I think for a long time, my interest and in, I guess like talking about identity, I always had a lot of trouble with that word because, um, you know, it's just so much of a broad stroke in terms of talking about one's place in the world. Um, you know, someone who's coming from Flushing, I have different concerns than someone who's growing up Asian American in a non-Asian majority neighborhood. So totally, um, yeah. I always felt like, okay, everybody has such a, and my, I have a very specific um, point of view and experience that, you know, you got like, your hope is like, it's not just this one time big interest that someone actually wants to learn with you or hear more about something that's beyond just like the headline. Um, because, you know, we could talk all day about what it's like growing up in flushing as an Asian person that's really different um, than other experiences. And then also for sure when COVID hit, it was it was very strange because I, you know, and this is before every, you know, it, it, everything blew up and, um, you know, all the hate crimes. This was just like when it was making its way to the US and like, right. I felt like I was living in two worlds going home. My mom is like panicking, sending me like doomsday texts every single day. And I'm trying to calm her down and trying to be like, hey, it's not, it's okay. It's probably not as bad. But then on the other hand, people who are super lax about it. And then I had to play the role of my mother. So, you know, that's, that was like an aspect of even pre anything of um, feeling a little bit like what position am I in in like <laughs> this whole catastrophe like shape yeah this right? whole catastrophe that's about to happen but that is also indicative of generally being you know a child of you know the the diaspora or you know immigrants of like shape shifting or this um playing multiple roles all the time and um yeah and growing up growing up alongside your parents like as they're growing up too in a new culture right so, I mean, that's, yeah, that's not really related to the current climate necessarily, but it just is buried under there, all this other stuff that actually um, could be talked about more too. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it's, I, I think it, you know, uh, like we talked about before, the gift of like, say, New York, of like the diversity and everything. I mean, there's always like a plus and minus. I would I imagine, you know, being in that position of sort of like shape-shifting or, or learning to live between you know, in different cultures or different identities or whatever that is, you know, you become a little more fluent in being able to, like you were probably really good at sort of talking about like to your mom in one way to sort of comfort her and then to raise it up for other mm -hmm. people, you know what I mean? Because you become a little more adept at that, you know, and it's just, um, yeah, it's a, it's a very complex thing to wrap around. And like myself having an a, a half Asian kid, it's like, you know, he is literally like living between two mm -hmm. cultures in a way too. So you, you know, it, it's, it's a very complicated, it's a hard thing to wrap your head around really, you know? And I, you know, I, I guess it, it doesn't I d necessarily have to be, 
you know, it's it's our identity or where we come from and what we do, all of us, is in, imbued into our mm-hmm. work one way or another. Whether it's explicit, whether it's narrative, whether it's passive, whether it's unconscious, you know. And, um, but I found what you wrote really engaging. And, you know, and I, f- I found the connection between, you know, what drew me to your work is like this idea of like bringing architecture or place that is kind of an amalgam or, you know, it's not just one specific thing. It is this sort of like floating material conceptually and aesthetically to clashing material with other parts of architecture. I just found that really interesting and engaging. And it's just as, it feels just as complex and hard to pin down as, you know, people in the way we feel about these situations or, you know, who we are. I don't know if any of that makes sense. <laughs> no, I, yeah, but it, no, I, it's engaging. I want to say it does make yeah. sense because I think for me, you know, earlier you mentioned identity. I think identity always kind of takes a, um, a backseat to, um, an interest in, um, understanding place, you know, um, because place is what is given meaning based on whatever your identity is. So it's actually like the reflection of identity that I think tells much more about this complexity than just being like, I'm a blank, 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 blank. It's like, this is how I display my interest and my aspiration and my dreams and my, you know, fears and all of that in the, in the, in the place that I live in the home that I live in. Um, and even, you know, when I talk about my background, I feel like I, was much more trying to understand where I am, like for the first, you know, 10 years of my life, rather than rather than who I am, if that makes sense, you know, it was like, yeah, totally. And that informed everything else. But I think that was always at the root, at the heart of like, what I'm trying to, um, yeah, trying to unpack is, is more of, um, yeah, where is my place here? And then what is place, you know, and how's that different than space, you know, (laughs) and, um, and everything related to that. Yeah, I think I would I would gather to like when I was talking earlier about, you know, it being a sort of micro version of something else. I, I don't know exactly how I was saying it, but I think we all have that struggle in one way or another, whether it's explicitly tied to where we are or who we physically look like or whatever, or our feelings or our relationship to our parents or a relationship to our mode of expression, whether we want to be creative or whether we want to be analytical or whatever it is. It's like this constant um, negotiating like our mind and our will and our desires with like what we're expected to do in a way. So I think it's not, you know, it it might be universal. Obviously, it's not as intense as certain people's situations. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? But I think we all have that to an extent and i think the one thing that's great about creativity and art is it gives you an avenue to release in a way or to maybe understand a little bit more about other people or yourself in an abstract way it doesn't have to be a literal sort of education but you know you're kind of negotiating waters that you've never been in or you can't really there's no rules Mm -hmm. really like we can do whatever the hell we want when we're making stuff you Mm -hmm. know what i mean so it's it's a real kind of like exploratory and I think educational thing in, in who we are as people. Yeah. So maybe that's like what art is good for. <laughs> is that, is that the name? Is that the uh, objective of this? 
I, can, I guess so, maybe. Or it's just like making colors and making things look nice. Well, I mean, I, yeah, I want to build on that. I do think the best part about being an artist is that it forces you to really take in your surroundings and think deeply about everything around you because, you know, you sort of wire your brain to do that. And then, you know, you move through the world always a bit at an arm's length. And that can be a bad thing. Yeah that can be difficult but at the same time you can get a lot out of that it's like um you know you get to experience the world in this very particular way um i think that in a lot of ways i get a lot more out of that than maybe even you know making a completed resulting form it's like oh it allowed me to see these things that i wouldn't even and maybe wouldn't have spent the time to think about sing it i agree with what you're <laughs> saying wholeheartedly i feel like you know that whole metaphor of like people who go get the nine to five and then they, you know, they just make a paycheck, a steady paycheck. And that's like easy. And people who decide to be like an artist is like, oh my God, that's so difficult. Like you don't know where your paycheck's going to be. And you gotta, you know what I mean? That mm-hmm. metaphor of like, why would you make life hard for you? I feel like the same th- parallel could be said of like, you can skate through life and not really think deeply about things. Or like you're saying was artists, we, we experience things and look deeper into them it might be easier to just skate the surface, mm-hmm. you know, but if you crack the surface, if you crack the ice and you go down underwater and you explore around, it's harder, it's difficult, but you have a greater understanding of what existing is. I think. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. You tap into um, an aspect of the human experience that um, isn't, Oh, it very rarely is um, actually promoted <laughs> or placed in a positive yeah. light. Like, yeah, but artists should be paid <laughs> well right. no, and I shouldn't agree. have to worry about In that. In some aspects yeah. they are. <laughs> but I think I think the easiest way for most people to engage, I think that's why people love movies so much because it takes them out of their day-to-day mm-hmm. and it for two hours, but it's easy. They could just go sit there and it happens mm-hmm. to them. You know what I mean? So they can be taken away and think about things a little differently than they normally do. And it, that's why everyone loves to go see movies. You yeah. know? And the people who make movies are generally get paid well because so many people go to them but i i think it's you know to do it from scratch like as a solo artist like you're just in your studio by yourself and like okay i'm gonna make something you know it's maybe a little more direct in a way but it's it's difficult to get everyone else to look at it yeah i mean even the observation part of it you're walking around the world and you see something really um profound and you're not it's not like a movie you can't be like hey did you watch thing blow in the wind you know sort of like left alone to your own observations um but those moments are so meaningful as an artist um yeah yeah did did you ever see the movie american beauty no i know that's like one of the go-to's for like is it i don't know i feel like there was like a list of like at least when i was like high school or teen young adults like these are the movies you gotta watch (laughs) as an artist well there's a scene in it where that guy's filming a a plastic bag in the wind just blowing around there's something really beautiful about it It was like kind of like well i don't that's not a spoiler (laughs) but anyways i feel like that's what artists do in a way we see things you can look you can notice things in a different way that's it can be kind of beautiful but also at times exhausting so exhausting (laughs) because then you have too much too much too many observations and you gotta (laughs) exactly yeah you gotta take it all in and filter it all right but speaking of making and I mean, so when you're making your work, are you doing, 
are you sort of exploring in the process? Or you kind of come up with maquettes or like drawings or ideas, and then they just you you sort of fabricate them or have them made. Like how? What's your process like? I think by now. Or is it very? By now, I think I've done it enough times that I could call it a process. Um, usually start with always with sketch. Well, before I used to do a lot of um, walking and. Uh, taking photos as I'm walking and that was usually like the very first step of like finding some form that was interesting in the um, in the landscape and so that would be like sort of like a note-taking process and then bring it back to the studio and do some sketching always sketching Um, and now if it's a really large work like um, I definitely always have some sort of model or maquette um, that's that's being made but that happens pretty rarely usually I just like then um, I'll draw it out and then like figure out the measurements and stuff and then just start cutting things down I work a lot with um, rigid foam and so what's really nice about it is like if you make a mistake you just glue it back on (laughs) like tape it back on like cut it down it's very forgiving so sometimes I don't yeah I don't even do too much of the planning just start like have a general idea of like um, how wide or tall something should be and then just start start cutting away and um what's going on in the wall back there i'm like i love the the lines of that what is that so and people can't see it but you know yeah i mean it's cool looking <laughs> thank you these are new um pieces i'm like you know i, I worked i made so many uh, for the past few years most of my work has been like three-dimensional freestanding and i wanted to with these like think about some wall pieces that still have that aspect of like three-dimensional space that's then been flattened and a lot of ways these look they're kind of like based on railing shapes um they're actually much more similar to the drawings i do so i realized like oh the drawings are initially i start out like okay here's a drawing of a 3d thing that i'm gonna make so it's like a flattened thing of it this is kind of like working backwards it's like a flattened thing of a three-dimensional um image so yeah um these are actually three different pieces and they kind of i don't i don't know where they're you know how they're going to be oriented but i'm excited about these there's kind of a new um direction yeah it's really it's cool they're they're pretty odd well i mean if it's three pieces and they're kind of hung sort of near each other there is an oppy element to it of a reverberation where you can't quite rest your eye on mm-hmm. something like it's constantly moving which is really cool it's it's almost like you know those op art like Bridget Riley paintings or something to where I mean it's totally different but where you just can't focus on one you know spot in a way it just it, there's a lot of movement and vibration in it which is cool ah which brings me movement and vi- vibration what I didn't even get into music was as music did you grow up with music? Was it in the house? Did you play anything? Did you like it? Or what, what do you have any relationship to music? There was, there was no music in the house. <laughs> Mom. Mom. It wasn't, was it wasn't her fault. She was just never home. So it was just me alone in the house. Um, Wait, did you have no siblings? I didn't have a sibling until I was almost 13. So my little brother. Doesn't count. Doesn't <laughs> yeah, count. I, I feel like we both kind of. We're, uh, we both have the only child experience because I'm, you know. Yeah, that's a that's a big enough yeah. gap that he had a whole different experience. Whole different right? experience. He's like, yeah. yeah, he had he had 
You were like an older cousin or something. It was like, you know, could help out. Basically, so. yeah. I think he grew up um, <laughs> definitely a little bit more secure than me. Just, But but at the same time, I think I, you know, I had a lot more moments of boredom and like trying new stuff, you know. Yeah. Um, There's no one there to, you know, guide me in that, in that specific way. Um, music in the house, not really that. My family's not musical or really into... Um, into that at all so my music so I feel like that really made me like a very um democratic listener I'm open to everything um my yeah my music taste is sort of all over the place um and yeah I think the first cd I had was like a Celine Dion cd because they're they they used to play Celine Dion every single day like under the Long Island Railroad there was like this bootleg um, CD <laughs> table. That's so, that's so perfect for the LIRR to have Celine Dion blaring. Life. Yeah, this was like yeah, '90s like flushing, and then got getting a, that CD. So I would like fall asleep to Celine Dion every single night because it was just very comforting. It became like a very predictable track that I just you know provided comfort. And I think I still think about music in that way. If I played in this play music in the studio. I'm not like a music discoverer, you know, I'm not like an explorer. I'm like, if my friends recommend something and I like it, I'll just listen to one thing for like eight months <laughs> on repeat. It's like a favorite blanket. Yeah, sort of I think it, it creates like an atmosphere in the, it's sort of like having the TV on in the background when you're like falling asleep. Um, right. So that's like my experience with, with the music. Um, so it's comfort for it's you. It's comfort for me. It's comfort. It's also like a way to like find like-minded people. You know, like in middle school yeah. when I grew up um, in like very suburbia, that was like the emo kids. Like the kids who were like very sensitive, and like I just wanted to listen to what they listened to, and that was like the way to make friends. Then I go to school in Manhattan, and it's like, oh my gosh, I have to like get a little bit more. Um, you know, find find the find the cool taste. You know, like the movie track, the movie right. track music, like indie music and things like that. So I think for me, it's always like music belongs to a place and time, and also of people. So if I'm, you know, if right. I'm feeling like nostalgic for a certain time, I'll play I don't know emo music or like. You could say Fall Out Boy. No, I've never been into Fall Out Boy, but like maybe. What is emo to you? Because I grew up, I mean, I'm a lot older than you. So emo was like Fugazi, you know, like that was emo like. Emo is like the used and like My Chemical Romance, like. Oh, okay. Wow. Yeah, that's. <laughs> yes. It's like the cover art that's, that's like ink, ink like, drawing or something. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Like a Zach Smith drawing. That's emo. <laughs> very, yeah, very um, fitting of the title. But then, yeah, but then if I'm feeling nostalgic for like Manhattan teen life it's like the strokes like the smiths like stuff like that um but these days i'm like i think a lot yeah so like i said i'll play the same thing and usually it'll be like i can even think about it in terms of like projects so like if i'm um what was the last project so maybe like the shed project i think i only listen to the fujis like for like six months straight that's a good choice yeah it's just like 
okay, I know what's going to happen. Like, I don't know what's going to happen in the art, but at least I know what's going to happen in the music. And that's like a nice sense of See, comfort. It's comfort. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I feel like it's it's a comfort yeah. blanket in a way. You have different blankets for different Exactly. Occasions. What do you think your work looks like music-wise? I don't know. I think it's a blend of all of those things. Like, I'll listen, you know, like my mus- my Spotify is like indie and like reggaeton <laughs> and like... <laughs> <clears throat> emo i'm just as i'm i'm all over the place too you i'm the i'm in the yeah. same boat so i think it's it's probably all of those things i don't know it's um it's just something to keep me company in the studio because we're there so so long every day <laughs> yeah that's the other thing that's really good about new york it's very democratic about music too because you can you know well i remember when i was growing up and i got into mm-hmm. reggae i was like really interested in reggae and like mm-hmm. dub and then, like, I remember feeling like people were going to judge me and be like, what the hell are you listening to that, like, you know, like Jamaican music for? Like, you know, they just didn't, I don't know. But here, you can hear everything. I mean, it's all tied to mm-hmm. culture more. So you could just, you know what I mean? Like, it, reggaeton is like, you know. It's just there. Like, I can listen to bachata. It's not mm-hmm. weird. You know It's what just I mean? there. It's part of the yeah. environment. I think all those yeah it's like new york city in a nutshell i mean when i was yeah living in little neck i think that but that's also middle school you know it's like oh these kids listen to that and these kids listen to this so right right. yeah yeah it's more of that separation now it's like everything's fair game and also yeah um yeah that's that's basically my my relationship to music Right. And now did you did you learn Fujianese? Is it Fujianese? Um it's so Fujian has like so many different cities. Um it, there's just so many dialects. So even between cities in in the right. province, there's like it's it's sometimes not even intelli- uh, mutually intelligible. So um my, most of my family's from Fuching, which is a really small um or not small compared to like Fuzhou, which is the capital. And Fujing uh, like dialect is different than Fuzhou dialect. But to answer your question, no, I did not. I did not learn that. Um, I think I learned it as like an infant and like a toddler because I'm pretty sure I came here only, only right. speaking that um, because I remember um, thinking the Chinese was even different in America and was like very upset <laughs> about that. Yeah. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Well, there's so many dialects too. It's like, you know, the dialects and then Mandarin and Cantonese. I mean, it's very complicated. Yeah. I mean, I have a story about that, which is in first grade, first day of school, which is first grade. Um, all of first grade, I didn't speak any English. And um, the teacher was like, oh, we have a new student. I don't know how, I, I'm, yeah, I don't know how I would understand this if I didn't speak English, but she was basically like, oh, we're, you know, gesturing like we have a new student can someone come over and like speak to her she's chinese and this girl walked over to me and then started speaking to me in cantonese and i was just like i was just like on the brink of tears like oh my gosh wait (laughs) nothing makes sense you know so um yeah i mean that relates to the identity thing too there's no it's so much more complicated than most people even have the patience to get into which is a shame yeah, definitely. It's, um, I mean, I find language fascinating. And if I could go back and do it again, I would learn, like, try to learn, like, 50 languages or something. <laughs> I think it's just amazing. I love, like, 
the sonics of it too you know it's like um yeah so um what are you working on now what's going on and where is your studio if you don't mind me asking i don't need the address <laughs> but just the general vicinity <laughs> It's a, it's, it looks like a very nice space. Yeah, I'm at the Snack Melon resident, uh, residency right now. That's mm-hmm. right. That's right. That's not your mom's not attic. my mom's attic, yeah. And I did it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, it's in Dumbo, which is a very interesting neighborhood. Yeah. Um, and by interesting, I mean expensive. Um, but yeah. it's – and it's so far from Flushing. My, that's a, that's a why I have to stay so long because my commute is so – such takes forever that I'm like, if I'm going to be in studio, I have to be here to like earn back that time, you know? Uh, right. Well, it's a pretty sweet space. It's great. So it's probably oh, worth it's it. great. I have so much space. I'm in the basement. It's very peaceful. Um, yeah. And I'll be here till August, mid August. Um, and what I'm working on now are like these pieces that you see that I'm just getting ready for. We have open studios next month, um, which is very exciting because and had open studios in like I don't know <laughs> pandemic time so we haven't had open yeah. anything in like yeah I have an opening next week and I'm like kind of scared not scared but <laughs> it's gonna be it's gonna be weird it's gonna be weird I haven't been around that many well I'm I'm assuming people are gonna go I it's gonna be it's strange gonna be really weird yeah you're gonna have to learn how to like talk again <laughs> in person oh uh, well <laughs> Oh, in person, yeah. right? Yes, not not over a Zoom. No, like we have to relearn <laughs> what to do with our hands because we don't know how to do that anymore. Right. Yeah, it's gonna be tricky. Yeah. So, yeah. So that that will be, I think, the weekend of of the twenty second next next month. So that's um yeah. Nice. That'll be fun. So people can come see your mm-hmm. work in yeah, the flesh. Yeah, see me and that's see my cool. co residents too, who are all really wonderful here. Um, so you have the open studios mm-hmm. coming up and that's where people can check out your work and then you do social media, social media. and you, mm-hmm. is there anything else that you want to share with people about you or your work? Or? I, mm, unless, no, I think, uh, I think that's mostly it for now. I mean, maybe I'll think of something later, but <laughs> you ask, Put it in yeah, yeah, I'll be like, can you tack <laughs> this on? Just like <laughs> automated voice. Um, no, thank you for all the questions. Um, all the questions and conversations yeah thanks for for talking it was really i like i said i i found your work like i was just i got really engaged in the in the imagery i think it's really um it's it's different in a really great way and really engaging so uh, uh thanks for taking the time out <laughs> thank you so much Sound of Vision is recorded, edited, and produced by myself, Brian Alfred. You can find out more about the podcast by going to soundandvisionpodcast.com. Also, you can check out and pre-order the Sound of Vision book called Why I Make Art. Uh, there's a link on the website where you can get it from the publisher, Altelier Editions. It's also on Barnes & Noble and Amazon and Target and all sorts of other places. But it's great if you could get it direct on pre-order from the publisher. Uh, there's a lot of images in there. There's some great quotes. and It's going to be a fun book, and I'm really proud of it. And I hope you guys can support the podcast by doing that pre-order. Many thanks to Anne for taking the time out to talk. If you can hit her open studios, check it out. Otherwise, check out her work online. And next time she has a show, many thanks to Michael Lovett. 
for the intro if you have a chance if you're in europe right now he is playing live shows with metronomy check out their tour they're a great band live and uh, definitely worth the the check out i have a show opening today when this podcast releases uh, called escape plan at miles McHenry gallery so it'll be up for a little over a month if you can check it out um, that would be great worked uh, almost two years on this show during the pandemic and uh, the work means a lot so um, dedicating this one to my father who I lost during COVID and also uh, a dear friend who just passed his name is Francois Mayer is a great photographer so um, I'm dedicating the show to those two so check it out if you can many thanks for your support 